Good morning. And now the story of Jonah, kids edition. Try to keep up. God picked Jonah for a special cause to go to the city and enforce his laws. God told Jonah he must obey. Jonah was scared and ran away. He boarded a ship and went to sea, but from the Lord he could not flee. God caused a mighty wind to blow and tossed the small boat to and fro. The frightened sailors began to yell, and into the water Jonah fell. A giant fish came into sight and swallowed Jonah in one big bite. Some funny pictures I wish you could see. In the belly of the fish, Jonah stayed for forgiveness. He prayed and prayed for three long days and three long nights. Jonah suffered his terrible plight. God would punish Jonah no more and made the fish spit him out on shore. Jonah was changed that very day. He promised God he would always obey. Sound about right to you? Is this the Jonah that you know? This is one of the most easily recognizable stories in the entire Old Testament. Very marketable to kids, what with the fish and all. (laughs) But I think it is one of the most completely misunderstood books in all of Scripture. So I want to clear it up this morning. Some of you guys did a good job and had a hard time trucking through 66 chapters of Isaiah, so we're going to do Jonah in in 30 minutes. Does that sound good? (laughs) Now, a lot of the facts, like the general facts in here are correct. Kind of slides off at the end, I think. Um, But the part that you need to read to clear up everything that we're going to focus on tomorrow, uh, uh, this morning is the last chapter, Jonah 4, because it absolutely changes everything. Because when we actually read the whole story, we discover that while Nineveh, this city, has repented, we actually find out that Jonah doesn't seem to have repented at all. In fact, he's angry at God's mercy towards Nineveh. And in fact, I think he hates God. And this sends Jonah into a downward spiral. And that lasts all the way up till the end of the book. And that's how it ends. But in the midst of this, which I think is the real point of this story, we find an unbelievably merciful God. Though Jonah is not steadfast, God is. And through this, I think we'll perhaps see a bit more clearly how merciful we really are and what we can do if we're not. Let me start, though, by leading up to this fourth chapter of Jonah by quickly reading the third chapter, which is his crusade through Nineveh. Then we'll get right to 
to chapter 4. So we're on page 727 of your fancy new church Bibles. Jonah chapter 3. He's just been spat out of the fish. He decides to go. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So I'm not going to comment on this chapter much at all for now. I just want to underline before we get going how repentant Nineveh is. I mean, the cattle repent. (laughs) The people and their king do a total about face and they didn't even have much to go on other than Jonah's eight-word doomsday sermon. That's their proof. And they believed. And God spares them. If any of you have ever done street preaching or any sort of evangelism, this is kind of the result you want. It would seem like quite a happy ending. But with that in mind, let us now read chapter 4 and see our redeemed hero, Jonah. This is your first point. A lack of mercy reveals our hatred. Of God. Let me read the first four verses of chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee in Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? 
The first thing we learn about Jonah here in chapter 4 is that Jonah hates Nineveh. And second, we learn that Jonah hates God. Let's look at verse 1. Look at the word it. In it displeased Jonah. The end of chapter 3, God's relenting in the destruction of Nineveh has displeased Jonah. It's made him angry. In fact, earlier translations actually use the phrase, Jonah saw it as evil. God's mercy. And what what really unravels the redemption story for Jonah is when you think about the earlier facts that we even got in here. I mean, consider the mercy that God had on Jonah. From the belly of the great fish, Jonah prayed to God for mercy. But then, when he sees the same mercy applied to Nineveh, he has no room for it. And yet, God has given that. And so, underneath that hatred for Nineveh, Jonah hates God. Look at verse 2. He prays to the Lord. Isn't this what I said in my home country when I ran away at first? And we don't know what he actually said because chapter 1 doesn't actually say it, even in like the the big kids version. (laughs) But he does reveal his heart as he follows that phrase. He says, this is why I ran. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger. And he goes on and on. And this is him praying. He's actually quoting Exodus right there. You might have even heard that quoted in Isaiah too, those words. I'm a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger. Those were God's merciful words to Moses when he established Israel. And gave the Ten Commandments. And um, what Jonah's doing here is he's throwing those merciful words in the face of God. In other words, God, your nature of mercy has made me run away. At his core, Jonah hates God for being God. And so in verse 3, he asks God to kill him. I mean, consider the contrast in behavior. Nineveh has drawn near to God. But Jonah wants to be cast out into the grave. And so... God looks down at Jonah and simply says, do you do well to be so angry? Or other translations say, is it just for you to be angry? We learn something, I think, about people here. We love receiving mercy, don't we? But what we wish for our enemies shows us what we really think about God. 
Now for Jonah, when he looked at Nineveh, here's what he saw. He saw a major city of the enemy Assyrian Empire. Historically. Assyria was just a thorn in Israel's side for a very long time. And at this point in history, because Assyria was stretched out trying to take out enemy after enemy, they were weakened, vulnerable. And so when God gave mercy, Jonah showed us what he would probably have done if he were God. He would have put his foot right on Nineveh's throat. How about us? Say God saves your worst enemy. Think of the person who has caused you the most pain in your life. What if God were to save that person? How would you feel? Would you even want them sitting at the table of the Lord? Or would you want them to suffer? Now I admit that to extend mercy to an enemy is not easy. I mean, I have no idea what was motivating Jonah. Like what provoked that anger. I don't know what Assyria did to him. Who knows? It doesn't say. And I don't know all your stories. I have heard some really difficult ones. But, though extending mercy is quite hard, and I will admit that, where this text is going next, I think we're going to see that there's something even harder than that. What's harder than extending mercy is not extending mercy. Jonah is about to be completely consumed. His hatred toward Nineveh and ultimately God is going to be a downward spiral. But even at the bottom, we're going to find out that there is still hope. Let's look at point two. And I'm going to read verses five through 11, the rest of Jonah chapter four. Verse five. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on his head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and say, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do so? Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, 
that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? So the last thing we learn from the book of Jonah is that in his hatred, Jonah withers, but God's mercy flourishes. Jonah withers, but God's mercy flourishes. Let's look at verse 5. First, Jonah just sets up a booth, like like down at Arts Fest, you know? And he just watches Nineveh. He's not selling anything. He's just sitting there, outside of the city, looking at the city. I think it's obvious that what he's watching for is he's hoping... Maybe God will change his mind and send that fire and brimstone after all. He's just sitting there, angry. And God actually appoints a plant to allow him to keep doing that. And Jonah is glad. Again, not at the mercy, towards his comfortable seating. That's what's making him glad, is he can just continue doing what he's doing. And he sits for a whole day. Then God appoints a worm to destroy the plant and sends heat until all of his shade is gone and Jonah is quite literally withering. And he has to die. And God says, do you do well to be angry for the plant. Jonah says, yes, angry enough to die. What's going on here, because this is just a weird way to end a book, which is probably why it's not in the kids one, (laughs) is that Jonah has withered so much in his hatred, both physically and I would say spiritually, that he has now put more value in the life of a plant than in the lives of the Ninevites. God, you killed my plant. Oh, those 120,000 people over there, whatever. They've made their choice. Jonah's at the bottom here. But even in the midst of Jonah's withering, God's mercy flourishes. Look at his response in verse 10. You pity the plant, and you didn't even make it. Shouldn't I pity Nineveh, the great city with 120,000 people? In other words, God made plants and God made Nineveh. So he has the right and he alone to have mercy on whoever he wants. And God looks at Nineveh And he's not filled with anger. He sees people who can't see their right hand from their left. They're morally bankrupt. They're not really enemies. They're helpless. They're nothing. So the good news is while Jonah hates Nineveh, And hates God for being God. The good news is that God is still God. God has the final word on mercy. And with that, 
with that question about Nineveh, the book of Jonah ends. That's it. This book is not a redemption story about Jonah. The book of Jonah, I think, is more like a mirror. And God is holding up that mirror and he's saying to whoever reads it, I am God and I have mercy on whoever I want. What is your response to that? That's Jonah. We learn so much about who God is right here. He is rich in mercy, even towards Jonah, who is withering from hate, and he has a a heart for the nations, and Jonah can't stop him from succeeding. And we can't either. Even if we just wither in anger, and even if underneath all the apparent redemption and underneath all the religious prayers, even if we're just like Jonah, that won't stop God either. And that's freeing. He will have mercy on whoever he wants. What is your response to that? Our response should be to glorify God. I mean, when you meet people who think the God of the Old Testament is is vindictive and angry, go to Jonah. They're probably going to be familiar with it, or they think they are. Go there. When you meet people who think the point of the Bible is moral improvement, go to Jonah. The people are corrupt to the core all throughout the Bible. God's plan of mercy for the nations will succeed. That's where you go. And this thread, which hopefully you saw running through Isaiah... Man's corrupt. God's promises are going to be fulfilled. This thread runs all the way to the time of Isaiah's appointed servant, Jesus, hundreds of years later, when Jesus meets Israel at the bottom of their downward spiral. In fact, even during Jesus' ministry, we see an echo back to the book of Jonah with an exclamation mark of hope. And that is your third point. We're now going to jump ahead to Luke chapter 11. Jesus is the ultimate display of God's mercy. It's your third point. I'm going to read 29 and 30 and then hop right over 31 and and read 32. This is Jesus' ministry to the crowds. When the crowds were increasing... Jesus began to say, This generation is an evil generation. 
It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. And then verse 32, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And what we see in this text is that Israel has become worse than Nineveh But Jesus is greater than Jonah. Now the context for this this interaction which we just read is that many in Israel who hear Jesus talking, they don't believe him. So they say, show us a sign. Give us a miracle. But contrast that with verse 32. Because Jesus goes back to the story we just read. Nineveh, they didn't get a sign and they didn't need one. Jonah had no sign for them. Jonah had eight angry words. And the people believed. So what Jesus is saying here is that it's like Nineveh has the moral high ground on Israel. So Jesus says, Israel, you don't get a sign except for the sign of Jonah. You get words of judgment. That's your sign. Israel has become worse than Nineveh. Again, this Bible is not a redemption story about people. It's not about people getting their acts together. But even in this interaction, there's an exclamation mark of hope. And it's in verse 32. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. In other words, Jesus is no Jonah. He's not going to be this reluctant prophet. He's not going to camp outside Jerusalem and wait for fire and brimstone. He'll go in. In fact, the only reason he'll leave is because Jerusalem will cast him out. Jesus won't wither wanting his enemies to die He's going to die for them. Jesus is the ultimate display of God's mercy. And if you squint real hard, you can see him in Jonah. Friends, for many of you, Jonah has gone down a few pegs this morning. (laughs) Maybe you've gone down a few pegs in your own mind this morning. So what do we do with this? How do we apply this? I'm going to give you one application from each point, and then I'm going to give you two general applications. So you get five today. (laughs) Application number one. This is right off the first point. If you lack mercy towards an enemy, 
run to the Lord. What I mean by that is that if you have a horizontal lack of mercy, it's ultimately rooted in how you're seeing God vertically. So consider your enemies if, if you have them. And if you don't, just become a Christian and keep growing and you'll get them. <laughs> is there anyone, maybe, maybe a person here, maybe a relative, Maybe an entire people group, you know? Maybe your dad served in the war and he died. And Anybody who looks like that people, you're done with them. That happens. And you just want to set up your booth and wait for the brimstone to drop. The answer to that is when we look at the cross of Christ... Salvation for all people, it's not just us. It's not just, I stand in awe of you. It's maybe other people do too. (laughs) Maybe people I don't like very much. Cross of Christ even includes the most hardened of enemies. Write down the Apostle Paul in your notes and just start reading the book of Acts. Even the hardened of enemies. So when we fail to have mercy on them, what I'm saying is the antidote for us is to remember that we were once enemies of the Lord. What exactly did we do to earn our salvation? That's where we need to go. And then we extend that mercy outward to people. But say you have made a lifetime of not doing that. Application number two. If you're in a downward spiral, remember, God is steadfast. And that's, that's good news and bad news. Because maybe that downward spiral has gotten so bad for you that you hate people and you love plants. <laughs> I mean that. Maybe you blow off your neighbors or the people in your dorm and your life revolves around the garden in your backyard. That's your life now. I'm done with people. And you realize one day maybe that you have more compassion for the life of your rose bushes than the neighbors across the street who are one fight away from getting divorced. Who cares? They've made their choice. Okay, maybe you're not into gardening. (laughs) Maybe your life revolves around a television show or a sports team or a video game. And one day you realize you actually have more compassion for the people on screen than the actual people around you. Okay, some of you can relate to that one. You know, look down the hall of your dorm, they get drunk, who cares? They've made their choice. I'm not knocking again. (laughs) 
If you burn with anger, what should you do? Remember, God is steadfast. Because here's the thing. He can heal you, but you won't stop his mercy even if you have. The crazy thing is, is that you might need to be sobered up to the reality that the person you hate might actually be closer to God than you are. And if that's you, the good news is your story does not have to end like Jonah's. Here's how you can make a habit of living in mercy. Application number three, follow Jesus in mercy. I simply say this about Jesus because we only touched on his ministry this morning. He did way more than not hate his enemies. He died for them. And it wasn't simply on the cross. His whole life was painful service for his enemies. Elsewhere in Luke, Jesus said this in chapter 6. Just write down Luke chapter 6. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. But love your enemies. And do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. And the point here is, loving your enemies is hard. But Jesus showed us how to do it. He went first, and we were the enemies. I'm going to close with two general applications. They're short, and as we sum up Jonah. First, parents, screen your kids' stories. (laughs) I actually found this in the back. (laughs) Oops. (laughs) It's cool. Because really, like, if you're, especially if you're a new parent, you're about to get, like, so many kids' books, and they're going to be from, like, well-meaning relatives. And some of them are going to really miss the point. But you can help. And you know what's cool? Even if a bad one sneaks by, or you just kind of realize, I've been reading this wrong. You can just pause right there, kid on your lap, make a correction. I did this. I do this. I do running commentary in my kids' books all the time. It takes a lot longer. They like it. Or, you know, you can even tell them, you know, I taught you the wrong thing. Can we fix that? You can do that. It is such an honor to teach children, by the way. On that note, I I actually want to pause and and kind of, I want to praise our, our, our Sunday school team. If you work with kids here, would you stand up? Good. If there's a kid on your lap, just raise your hand. Would you thank these people? Because <laughs> it's, it's hard to learn, but it's way harder to unlearn. And they do a great job.
And thank the people in the nursery that missed all this. Second and final general application. Be alert as you read this. Beware of the familiar, I think it's been said here. I say that to encourage you to go home and read Jonah again. There are so many nuances in the thing that when you read it with fresh eyes, it's amazing. Read it again. It's four chapters. You can do it this afternoon. You can probably do it during fellowship time. Don't interact with people, you know. But I also say that as a heads up as we approach the book of Luke. That's our next sermon series beginning in August. Because there is so much in there that you are familiar with. And you're going to start to check your watch. I know this one. You actually might find out that there are some stories that don't mean at all what you think. But with the Lord's mercy on our preaching team, that will actually be very good news. Let's pray. God, your word is so simple, and yet we project into it so much of what we want, or we regurgitate some of the perhaps bad sermons that we heard growing up. Lord, it is so easy to actually miss that, to miss what you're actually saying. But Lord, the good news is that the thread throughout your Bible is so, it's so clear. Man is fallen. Man needs redemption. And you Offer it freely through your servant Jesus. Let us meditate on that. Amen.